we know throughout the scriptures uh, that the Lord has given to us various metaphors to, to capture the life of the Christian faith. We think of Psalm 23, uh, John chapter 10, where uh, the Lord is uh, spoken of as a shepherd, and Jesus as a shepherd, and we as his people, the sheep. He guides his people. He cares for his people. He even lays down his life uh, for his people. Uh, we think of the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah using the metaphor of God as a potter and his people as clay in, in, in the Lord's hands. He shapes and molds and builds, sanctifying his people. Well, here we are continuing in the book of Proverbs. We're in chapter 4. And uh, we are given another metaphor here. It's a metaphor that is probably one of the most prevalent throughout the Bible to capture the life of biblical faith. And it's the metaphor of walking or running, uh, walking a path. And uh, perhaps one of the most well-known places in Scripture where we hear of this metaphor is Paul's words in his letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians 3, where Paul said, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, this image of a goal and a path, a walk or a run. And this metaphor of walking or running is so helpful because it's suggesting the idea that biblical faith is a journey. And it is helpful because it raises certain questions, this idea of a walk or a journey. It raises the question of direction. Where am I headed in my life? Where is this path going? It raises the question of meaning and truth, this idea of a walk or a path or a journey. What's the purpose of this path? It also raises the question of companions. Who, who else is on this journey? How is this journey shaping people? How has it shaped the people who have gone before me? Is that how I want to be shaped? And so it's in light of these kinds of questions and the metaphor of walking that we, we focus our attention on Proverbs chapter 4, in its entirety. So let's listen now to God's word. Proverbs 4.1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me, and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk. In the way of the evil, avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. 
for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness, they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is one of those chapters in the Bible that captures so well the whole of the Christian journey because it speaks about the beginning of the Christian journey. How do you take those first steps? How do you begin effectively? But it also communicates how you keep going, how you press on and continue to grow and mature. And it speaks about how not to lose your way through this journey. Now, you may have noticed in in hearing this passage that while we've already heard in the first three chapters, I think, four appeals, one after another in which Solomon or the wise sage is calling for his sons and those who will hear to consider this path of godliness and this path with the Lord, this path of wisdom. Well, here, did you notice we were given three more appeals in this one chapter? Three different times. In verse 1, 10, and 20. Hear, my son, accept my words. And what's so helpful about this chapter and the way that it's broken out is that these three additional appeals really support those three aspects of the faith journey. One, how do we get going? How do you take those first steps? How do you get traction in biblical faith? Two, how do you keep going and maturing along the way? And then three, how do we not lose our way? So look at the first section of verses one through nine. How do you begin the faith journey? Some of us may be just beginning that journey. And we're wondering, how do I get traction and get those first steps? Well, look at verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. As Solomon, or, or the wise sage, appeals to his sons to consider this path of wisdom... He says something that provides, I think, great insight into the nature of our faith, of biblical faith. It comes in verse 3 and following. Notice what he said. He says, when I was a son, there in verse 3, with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother's, he taught me, and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Uh, Solomon is, uh, in, in referring to himself as a son and tender, is speaking not only about language of being a younger person, biologically, but as a, uh, a, a spiritual heir to his father. Okay? 
But Solomon has just disclosed now to his sons that this wise path not only precedes them as sons, but it precedes him as their father. So Solomon is referring to his father, their grandfather. So what we have here in verse 3 and following is really the grandfather's words. It's a wonderful picture how the tradition of the Bible and of the gospel is passed on from one person to another, one generation to another. He's disclosing this path has a history There's a tradition that has been laid down. Men and women have walked and tread on this ground before them. This path, this ground, this tradition that precedes Solomon, precedes his father, their grandfather. It's it's all about life. In verse 4, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. But where does this living in this meaningful life come from? This is, uh, for those outside of the Lord, hard news, but it is good news. Because the full and the meaningful life does not originate from within man. Solomon does not say, just look within. If you're looking for life... If you're looking for direction, just look within. This is significant, particularly in the culture today in which we live. All around us, our culture is seeking to sell us the notion that life and meaning is found from within you. If you want a meaningful life, if you want a fulfilling life, says the culture, it's all about self-discovery and self-expression. You create your own path. You listen to your own voice, chart your own course, follow your own heart. And Solomon is really saying the opposite. Solomon is saying, I know a path, I know a way that that stretches all the way back to the beginning. Comes before my father and, and grandfather. My father told me about it. His father told him about it. And this path tells a story. And it's a story that is about a gracious God who gives himself for others, even honors others in verse 8 and bestows on them beauty in verse 9. And we know it's a story that ultimately leads to a cross where burdens are laid down, where sin is forgiven. It's the only path, it's the only story that offers this kind of living and life. This past week, actually a week and a half ago, our family visited for the first time the city of of Boston. And as many of you know, through a portion of the city is the Freedom Trail. And it's lined by a pathway of bricks, which I didn't know uh, until we got there. And along that path, of course, marks historical sites. Burial sites, historic figures buried there, uh, historic churches, Park Street Church. Uh, Bunker Hill Monument, the Boston Commons, historical places marking the American Revolution and the the beginnings of America in a way. And here I was, here we were being new, not knowing that apparently there were bricks that lined the entire pathway that you could follow. I didn't know where to begin. Where is the trail? 
Uh, so I went to a place that I was familiar with, Starbucks. And I went in, I had a cup of coffee, and I asked a younger worker there, is this road right outside here a part of the Freedom Trail? And she said, I don't know, I'm not familiar with that. I thought to myself, okay, you only live here. Well, it turned out that that road was a part of the trail, and uh, we started on the trail and had a wonderful time. It was a Thursday. That particular day was about 60 degrees. It was sunny out. We walked the, the, whole, the entire trail for, for hours, enjoyed it. And on our way back, as we were walking through, I would say, a busier part of the city, you saw various groups of people. Uh, they were gathering together in restaurants, outside coffee shops, down back roads, you heard various accents, even varied languages. And it dawned on me, it hit me, this is a picture, this is kind of a snapshot of, of the whole nation, or you could even say of the whole world in a sense. You have diverse groups of people, you have various activities being pursued, a, a labyrinth of roads and streets. And yet right down, right down the middle is a path. And it's a path that tells a story. An important story. And I think it's a helpful picture for us today. The path that Solomon is speaking about not only is telling a story, it's telling the story, the narrative. In the last months and year, to be sure, there are many stories and narratives that are being told and calling for our attention. You may have felt them. Stories about race and ethnicity, stories about justice and equality, stories about gender and identity, all of which the scriptures speak into, to be sure. But left unchecked, these narratives become the lens through which people begin to view and make sense of the world. What Solomon does and what scripture does for us is gives to us the narrative. That's what Solomon's passing on. The story that cuts through all of them. It's the story of God's redeeming grace in Christ. It's the only story and path that leads to the one who can give peace. Peace within, peace relationally. He is the one who unites diverse peoples around the world by his cross and the shedding of his blood, who forgives sins, who lifts up the brokenhearted. And we as the church are, are called not only to bear witness to that story, we are the locus of that story. We are the embodiment as Solomon is passing on to his sons that they will pass it on. We are to embody that story. So that the world would know this path transforms people's lives. We are to bear witness. And, but we are also the very evidence that this is the most important narrative to be told. So the first steps in the biblical journey are about getting this path, getting this wisdom. Understanding God's redemptive story. That's what Solomon's passing on and orienting one's life first and foremost around that narrative. What narrative are you living by? I would encourage 
this afternoon or this week, conversing with one another, with your spouse or with your children? What are the narratives out there by which the world is telling us we are to live by? And what's the biblical narrative? What's the biblical story that is to define more than anything else our lives? What storyline is shaping you? That's how we begin, receiving this gospel tradition, really. But then Solomon moves on about how do you keep going along the way? This is verses 10 through 19. You see the key metaphor of the way through these verses, the path. Verse 11, I've taught you the way of wisdom, the paths of uprightness. Verse 14, the path of the wicked and the way of the evil. Verse 18, the path of the righteous. In 19, the way of uh, the wicked. And we've seen this before, but throughout the scriptures and here in Proverbs, the Lord presents people with only two alternatives in living. You have the wise way and the foolish way. You have the, the way of life and light, and then the way of death and darkness. And it seems to me we might prefer at times with a feeling of timidity or fear, some kind of compromise. Maybe a, there's a middle way between those who are really godly and wise and those who are really foolish and wicked. Some middle way of a kind of half-decent life of mediocrity that we could settle for. Right? But there is no middle way. There's just no middle way. There's only two paths. I'm either among the righteous on the path of life or among the wicked on the path of destruction. This is, fast forward, what our Lord Jesus taught us in his Sermon on the Mount. Image after image of just two ways, two kinds of people. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and wide, broad the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but narrow the road that leads to life. Few find it. Then he goes on a few verses later. A healthy tree bears good fruit. A diseased tree bears bad fruit. The wise man, he built his house on the rock. The foolish man, he built his house on the sand. So there's certainly a warning that we see through chapter 4 of Proverbs. Certainly in verses 14 and 15. Don't enter the path of the wicked. Avoid it. And I think it's important that we understand those who are walking toward and down the wicked path are not merely those making immoral choices or sinful choices at times. That would include all of us. Fundamentally, those on the path of wickedness are those who simply do not treasure the Lord. And that's why Solomon says, or his father, verse 8, prize her highly, treasure this. Verse 13, keep hold of her, guard her, she's your life. How many of us have known uh, friends, family, professing believers who were uh, seemingly walking fervently with the Lord, and, and over time, they're no longer participating in the life of the body, they're no longer interested in, in the things of the Word of God, they're, they're, they're no longer talking about the things of the kingdom of Christ. Usually, it's not that they left the path of righteousness to enter a life of overt wickedness, gross sin. They simply began treasuring other things. 
And that's how it happens. So keeping going is a journey. There's no quick fix. It's moment by moment, constant recommitments to Christ and following after him. It's, it's not as easy or clear at times like following a path of bricks through a city. To me, by way of image, image it's much more like hiking the White Mountains. Now, if you've hiked some of the Whites, or the Presidential Range is what I'm thinking about, uh, Mount Adams, Jefferson, Washington, um, how many have hiked some of those, actually? I'm just curious. All right. Well, you know that the winds can pick up, the fog can come settling in. Uh, most of all, you know there's little to no groomed trail. It's just rock after rock, boulder after boulder. It's much different than the Northwest, where I'm coming from. And if you're not familiar with it, how you know the way ahead are through what? Those piles of rocks, cairns. The turn to Mark for that one, make sure. They're cairns, they're, they're rock piles piled up four, six, eight feet high, one after another, another maybe 100 yards or 100 feet apart. And you look at the next one, and then you make your way there, and then the next one, and you make your way there. And those rock piles are there calling out, saying, this is the way. Keep, keep your eyes forward. They're, they're saying essentially what verse 25 uh, tells us. Let your eyes look directly forward, your gaze straight before you. you got to keep your eye ahead. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Perhaps you have wandered or you feel you have been astray or the temptation to treasure other things is weighing heavily upon you. Well, in keeping going, there is wonderful hope because this path is the path of the gospel and a key is verse 18. It captures so well an aspect of of true, sincere Christian faith. It says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. It's a beautiful picture, a picture of nature, a picture of creation. But it's pointing to a life that is ever-increasing in brightness. Uh, you may feel discouraged today. Things may appear dark. But if Christ has hold of you, if, if you treasure Christ, he is dawning in your life. That's the wisdom here. He is dawning. You are growing in brightness. There may only be a glimmer of light on the horizon, but the sun is rising and darkness cannot stop it. We know Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. Remember Paul's words in Philippians 1. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, you say, but if you knew what my past looks like, even my recent past, yes, but he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. 
Yes, but if you knew the, the apathy, the complacency in my heart. Yes, but he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. Brighter and brighter it shines until the full day. Keeping going is about getting that word deep in the heart in its truth, reminding us who we are as those in Jesus Christ, shining brighter and brighter. Well, then finally, in this journey, we see how not to lose our way. And that's the third last section, verses 20 to 27. And, and central here is the call to pay close attention to the steps that, we are, that we're taking in life. It's a concentrated focus. As we heard in verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward, your gaze straight ahead. Ponder the path of your feet. A lack of, of self-awareness. Who we are, what we're living for will get us lost, feeling lost. And the wisdom of verse 23, perhaps one of the most well-known verses in all of Proverbs, the wisdom there is the opposite to the wisdom of our day and age. Look what it says. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, the natural man is seeking to find life and joy by arranging the things around him to give him fulfillment. It's all about what's on the outside, circumstances, etc. It's maybe we could call it the designer life, the dream house, the trophy husband or wife, the perfect job. Yet man continues unfulfilled and unhappy, restless. Because true life is not found outside in the exterior of our circumstances, it's found and preserved by what God puts into the heart. Notice how it progresses in verse 20. Be attentive to my words, and then into 21. Keep them within your heart, their life and healing. The words get into the heart. Then he says, keep that heart. For from it flow springs of life. It's very possible, we don't know for sure, but very possible that Jesus had these very words in mind when he said in the seventh chapter of, of the Gospel of John. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You will not lose your way if you keep coming to the Lord Jesus and drinking in his forgiveness, drinking in his presence, drinking in his marvelous love. And what a gift that is that the springs of life are not the result of how much we have, how much money we have, what job we have, how healthy we may feel, what tomorrow might bring, but because someone has placed a claim on our lives. We are his, and he's, he's placed that good word in us, the word of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing and joy it is that you have set your people upon the path of the righteous, that we have received this glorious inheritance, that you have placed your living word, the word of the gospel in us, redeeming us from darkness, delivering us from sin, 
and its burden. And how by your grace and mercy you enable us to keep going and growing. Even when it doesn't appear like growth to us. Yet you have made known from your word. Just like the dawning of the day, the sun rising, your people are shining brighter and brighter. Oh Lord, do that work in us that we would not only bear witness and point others to this glorious path, this wise and godly path, but that indeed we would be the, the locus of that path, the evidence, the, the picture of how this path transforms people. And Lord, as you do that work in us, we will be a people that offer you praise and glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.